Hello, I'm Kenny Smith, and this is The Best Story I've Heard Today, a podcast for news junkies. Each episode, we bring you a story that you might have otherwise overlooked. It's hard catching all of the work being produced out there. Normally, our guests select the best story they found today, but we're changing it up just a bit for this episode. I found a terrific read in National Geographic, and I wanted to talk about it with an expert in the field. So I'm pleased to welcome to the show Dr. Ann Pyburn, the Provost Professor of Anthropology at Indiana University. Your first visit to the show. Thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Thanks for inviting me. You have expertise in excavation, mapping, reconstructing large systems of Mayan cultures, particularly in Belize. Today we're talking about the neighboring Guatemalan jungles. There's a National Geographic story titled, Laser Scans Reveal Maya Megalopolis Below Guatemalan Jungle. Fascinating story. Research going on there is really interesting stuff. Something called LIDAR, or light detecting and ranging. Can you explain to me as a layperson uh, what LIDAR does? It's not my area of expertise, but I know that um, the lasers are aimed at the ground. They penetrate um, organic vegetation and bounce back. And when they uh, bounce off uh, rocks and soil, the light scatters. And the way that it scatters can be analyzed to create a a three-dimensional picture of the ground. In other words, the scattering is caused by the shape of what the light, the laser light hits. So really what we're doing digitally is we're taking the tops of these trees off and seeing what's below. They've done this so far over something like 800 square miles. Yes. I, I believe the largest such data set They've ever gathered it, the story says. And the project is on its way to collecting something like 5,000 square miles of of data set. That has to tickle your curiosity as an archaeologist or an anthropologist. It's a very exciting technology. um, And it's very encouraging that uh, they're managing to find so much so rapidly. And, of course, for me personally, because of my my own personal interest in uh, the ancient Maya, it's confirming some things that I have, uh, I have predicted about the past for many years. So the population densities that are being reported as a result of this new technology um, are uh, exactly what I thought they would be if we could get a clearer picture of um, the archaeology of the whole of the lowlands. With this data in hand, I assume that people are still going to have to go into the jungles there and into the swamps there and perform the really detailed work of the archaeology. Is this mapping more than of a precision guide, uh, pinpointing where exactly I should focus next, or does this somehow change the amount of work that uh, I might do in the field? I think that it makes it possible to focus the energy of the research on particular locations. What scholars will want to know is whether or not we're looking at the remains of a settlement that was contemporary. Was this entire area occupied at the same time so that we're looking at a a huge population or are we looking at a slightly smaller population um, that is a a palimpsest of different time periods that are all showing up as uh, as a single uh, a single in a single map. So perhaps they, all of these structures were not occupied at the same time. I suspect that they were, but um, that's going to be one of the first questions archaeologists are going to want to ask. One thing they're already doing is uh, alluding to painting a picture there of a civilization akin to ancient Greece or China. Um, the story is talking about learning settlement patterns and civic connectivity. Um, from your particular research interest, Dr. Pyburn, 
what do you hope or think is possible to find through the project? One of the things that I think that's most important about this discovery is the indication that we have had too many, too, too narrow a perspective, uh, expectation of uh, Maya civilization. We have not um, expected them to be um, as much like Greece and Rome as they almost certainly were. So um, I think that um, if nothing else, this discovery gives us uh, a better understanding of um, how similar uh, early states were across the world and how important it is for archaeologists to think about whether or not they begin their research with the presumption that they're going to look, they're going to find something completely different or whether or not they might want to be expecting to find something that's basically human. The Maya have always been used as an exotic other. And I think that this research is telling us once again that human beings have a tremendous amount in common across time and space. Dovetailing that point, one of the researchers involved in the project says that uh, they're coming to understand there now that the scale and population has been grossly underestimated. You've referred to that here. Previously, the number was thought to be somewhere along 5 million people. But now there's speculation in this story through this research. That number may be 10, 15 million people lived in this area. What does a reframing of the size of that magnitude mean to everything? Archaeologists estimated Maya popula population densities based on their counts of um, mounds, the mounds that are the remains of ancient structures. I did my dissertation um, testing the possibility that um, not all Maya population um, from the pre-Hispanic period is represented in mounds. So much to the horror of many of my colleagues, I dug in between the mounds because already the mounds seemed like too much data. But I dug in between the mounds to see if there were indeed houses built on the surface of the ground in the past the way Maya people live on the surface of the ground today. If you live in a thatched house made of wattle and daub on the ground surface, a thousand years after you leave it, there won't be a mound. And I found a lot of floors buried and invisible from the surface of the ground. So for me, LIDAR just shows the mounds. So we're looking at the visible portion of a much, much larger population. And um, I think that's fantastic. <laughs> I, I also think that um, it's going to force archaeologists and their public to except a more complex understanding of Maya subsistence strategies. You know, there are 10 million Maya speakers alive today, and many of them, those that have access to land, are, are practicing sustainable agriculture just as they always have been. So our idea that slash and burn is unsustainable, our idea that the Maya were only practicing slash and burn, our idea that um, the Maya subsistence practices either couldn't have sustained a huge population, which obviously they did because we've seen it now, or that having had a large population, their subsistence practices would have caused their civilization to collapse is a vast oversimplification, and this is an opportunity for us to actually begin to answer those questions. 
I know you don't want to trade in the terms like rise and collapse because they are an oversimplification. Uh, but I'm sure people learning of these stories must wonder about the origins of a population center. Why here? Why not there? And so on and so forth. But also where their descendants ultimately went to as time passed. How do we deal with that? Their descendants didn't go anywhere. <laughs> there are 10 million Maya speakers alive today. 80% of um, the population of the Maya lowlands, um, as, as many as, as much as 80%, died as a result of the conquest. So the amount of um, information that was lost, um, as well as the amount of people that were lost at the conquest, make it very complicated for us to figure out the rise and fall of population densities and movements over the period of uh, 2,500 years before the Spanish came. So the Maya populations moved that population densities waxed and waned across the Maya lowlands for a period of 2,500 years. Everybody didn't fall over in the ninth century. We know that populations moved around. We also know that there was a change in the way that people lived so that there was much more, much less emphasis placed on giant buildings and monuments. That is, much less emphasis on the kind of material culture that archaeologists can find uh, 500, 500 years later. So what we're looking at is a population that became less archaeologically visible, but by many people's estimations, um, uh, achieved a much better standard of living um, among ordinary people. Part of the answer to your question is that um, they didn't go anywhere. They moved around like all people do. Uh, another way to answer the question would be they disappeared just the way the Italians all disappeared when Rome collapsed. Um, <laughs> That's a great example. I like that. Um, it's an oversimplification to uh, to insist on a collapse. It's also um, politically problematic for several reasons. There There is a tendency among settler societies to regard – indigenous people as having disappeared. That's a kind of a convenient myth. Unfortunately, it blinds us to the the plight of indigenous people in the present day, the perception that there aren't any indigenous people or that indigenous people have all um, assimilated into the modern world system or that uh, indigenous people are um, somehow at fault um, for um, their economic disadvantages. One would hope that the findings that we're discussing here will encourage the uh, curiosity and urge to discover more and more about a very large and even larger culture than we thought we uh, already had an inkling, I suppose, of an understanding about. That must be the most exciting and frustrating part of anthropology all at the same time. Dr. Ann Pyburn, professor of anthropology at Indiana University, thanks so much for taking your time today to talk about this story with us. Thanks for listening. It's uh, such an interesting topic. We're grateful that you would uh, lend your expertise and the candy. <laughs> the story is titled Laser Scan Reveals Maya Megalopolis Below Guatemalan Jungle. It's from National Geographic. We've got a link to that below the audio player. It's a highly interesting read. I would encourage you to check it out. This is the best story I've heard today. We hope you've enjoyed the show and that you'll share it with others. Thanks for listening. We look forward to sharing stories with you again very soon. I'm Kenny Smith. Hey, thanks again for listening to the best story I've heard today. And here's a bit more news for you. 
you can hear this show on our host site, podbean.com. But the best story I've heard today is also syndicated now on sites like Stitcher and Google Play. Just go to those sites and search the best story I've heard today. You can find us on podbean.com, on Stitcher, and on Google Play. The best story I've heard today.